This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. This week, Ontario residents were rocked by Patrick Brown's bombshell resignation as head of the PC party. He was just one of the politicians forced out for that reason. We'll talk to a crisis communications expert. And last week, Britain appointed a minister of loneliness. Do we need one here? But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Beginning March 1st, it will be illegal for anyone to knock on your door in Toronto and pressure you with a sales pitch for home services. Water heaters, furnaces, and air conditioners, to name a few. The new rules are meant to protect seniors and other vulnerable people from falling victim to unclear contracts. Bill 193 will make it illegal for salespeople to approach your home unless they are first invited. However, the new legislation does not apply to marketing or advertising or girl guides selling cookies. A German nurse who allegedly killed his victims out of boredom has been charged with 97 murders, potentially making him one of the country's deadliest serial killers. Niels Hogel was already serving a life sentence for murdering two patients. He was charged with the additional murders this week. He's accused of giving victims at two hospitals various non-prescribed drugs in an attempt to show off his resuscitation skills. When patients started suffering the effects of the drugs, the nurse is accused of failing to help them. That's the heartwarming sound of a British police officer playing the piano for a 93-year-old man who had just been robbed. Visiting vulnerable victims of crime has become a routine part of the working day for police across the UK. But one officer went above the call of duty when he serenaded the senior with a private piano recital by playing the man's favourite, Frederick Chopin's Nocturne. The woman believed to be the real Rosie the Riveter died this week at 96. She's making history, working for victory, Rosie the Riveter. Naomi Parker Fraley was not recognized as the inspiration for the famous World War II-era poster until just three years ago. During World War II, she was one of millions of women across the U.S. who filled the labor force during the war. While she was working, a press photographer approached her to take her picture. Over 60 years later, Fraley attended a convention for women who worked during the war. There, she saw a photograph promoted as the likely inspiration behind the iconic image of Rosie the Riveter in the We Can Do It poster. She immediately recognized the picture as the one the photographer captured of her all those years ago. For years, the picture was credited to another woman. 
I'm all shook up. How much would you pay for a crumpled paper cup allegedly used by the king over 60 years ago? The cup was originally snagged by a fan in 1956 after Elvis Presley performed in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The blue and white Dixie cup, now yellowed with age, has been up for auction this past week with bids surpassing $1,200. Bucks. When the eBay auction closed, the winning bid was $3,000. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week, Ontario residents were shocked by Patrick Brown's bombshell resignation as head of the Ontario PC party. It came just one day after the party's Nova Scotia leader stepped down for the same reason alleged sexual misconduct. Hours later, the federal minister for sport and disabilities, was also ousted pending an investigation into similar allegations. In Brown's case, the anonymous and unproven but graphic charges ended his career instantaneously. I sat down with crisis communications expert and political strategist Alan Bonner. If someone comes to you in crisis because there are allegations, true or not, what do you do? Well, the absolute first thing that I do is harness my old, rusty journalistic skills and academic interviewing skills and find out what exactly happened. Most of my clients, when they come to me, don't know what exactly happened. I don't think very few people in the Conservative Party in Ontario know how many women there are. Were any of them underage? Were any of them married? Were there drugs involved? Were alcohol involved? Where did anybody get the alcohol? There are so many unknowns. That's the toughest part of ramping up. And this has been true in cybersecurity cases. All we know is the files are gone from the hospital or the files end up in a garage in Georgia from the bank or what have you. The facts of the matter are absolutely number one. Surely the accused person knows the facts, no? Well, very most often, sure. But Uh, one of the things that happens in a bureaucracy, in a large organization, is that the people within the chain of command in the pyramid, uh, in, for example, a bank or a hospital, sometimes conceal things from the senior people trying to manage the crisis. Why? They don't want to look bad. Uh, when they say they did all possible repairs to a uh, computer system or did security checks on teachers in a school, uh, it's often wishful thinking. And everybody, you know, everybody, for the most part, people tell me, You know, we have a policy in place, we have a handbook, we have rules, we have HR policies. And when I burrow into it, many of them don't actually exist. They are in the minds of the well-thinking, well-meaning administrator, but they don't actually exist or they're contradictory. What about a case when somebody is accused of something and it's an anonymous accusation and they're scratching their head and they say, well, I don't know who this person is, so I, I can't even think if there was something. Well, many years ago, I think I dealt with a case uh, about like that. I'm trying to reconstruct it from memory, but it was a same-sex sexual harassment allegation by someone pretending to be a journalist. You're going to read about this in the paper tomorrow, buddy. And uh, this went on for 18 months in my memory. It turns out to not have been with foundation. It was a disgruntled ex-employee who was simply causing mischief, and it never became public. And we were very 
very happy at that. Then there are 20-year-old cases in the private schools where we find out the inquiry never really finished its work because summer happened and the uh, accused teacher went on sabbatical and so on and so forth. So it is really hard to piece together these things after the fact, and it's very difficult to find out whether... It's just someone who wants to hurt you because they're a disgruntled employee or customer or stakeholder, what have you. And there's also this factor in in Patrick Brown's case. These are things that happened, alleged to have happened 10 years ago. And in other cases, it's been far, far longer, 20, 30, even 40 years. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's important to note that there is the presumption of innocence and a statute of limitations in the law. But as Shakespeare said, the law is an ass and there is no statute of limitations on someone who wants to run a jurisdiction or be a leader. Uh, You go back a long time. So there may be a case where we say, we're not going to judge someone today, uh, historically, based on the standards of today. But if it is an abhorrent matter that would be abhorrent today, and that person wants to be a leader uh, in a position of trust, then it doesn't matter how long ago it occurred. In today's climate, somebody makes something up, but the accusation is enough to ruin somebody. Well, that happens, and that is a, a libel or a slander. It is uh, subject to uh, redress in the courts, but uh, the election may be over by that time or the person's career ruined. Billy Graham had a great rule where he uh, did not sit in a hotel room with a member of the opposite sex without the door propped open. I'm sure he could have afforded a meeting room as well, but I, I think that... We're getting the, into Pence territory here. Well, I, 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 well, I mean, that. I think he spoke in some hyperbole, uh, there, but I think you do have to say in your life, how will I feel if this is on the front page of the newspaper tomorrow, or a picture of it tomorrow, or can I tell my wife and my kids and my grandchild what I did? And uh, I think those are great litmus tests. But again, how does somebody get back from this? Well, you often don't. You simply don't. Gary Hart, who had an, um, a true allegation about an extramarital affair, uh, it ended his political campaign. It did not end Bill Clinton's. No one seems to care about Trump's. So times change, situations change. All this is a movable feast. So it depends on who's doing it and who's doing what to whom. And it changes very, very quickly. Wow. Okay, Alan Bonner, thanks so much. Pleasure. That was crisis communications expert Alan Bonner. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up... Last week, Britain appointed a Minister for Loneliness. Do we need one here? You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. It's being recognized as an epidemic as real as diabetes or opioid addiction. Last week, British Prime Minister Theresa May appointed a Minister for Loneliness to tackle the scourge of social isolation. It can lead to premature death and a host of health problems, and it is an important issue for CARP. I reached VP of Advocacy Wanda Morris in British Columbia. Just like we have epidemics of AIDS or opioid abuse, there is an epidemic of loneliness impacting seniors in our communities, and it's time that got the attention it deserves. Well, in the UK, they say that they have conducted surveys or measured, and there's something like 6 million people who are chronically lonely. 
And I am not surprised. As we age and the way that our society has changed over the years, people don't tend to live together in extended families. More and more people are spending more time online, which on the one hand can be a a source of engagement, but also can take people away from physical activities that bring them together with others. And as we're living longer and longer, and particularly women living longer and longer, sometimes those, those networks just aren't available and people are alone. There's also a question of what it leads to, and it leads to early death. I mean, simply, loneliness is a killer, and it also leads to or can contribute to the development of heart disease, stroke, depression, and even dementia. Absolutely. I mean, it's fascinating what we're learning from the sort of frontier of health. And more and more, we're learning that various uh, mental changes can have a profound physical effects on individuals. You know, we're seeing this today with our serious pensioners and all the, the physical uh, manifestations of stress that they're getting. But certainly, loneliness is, is a key factor. I was reading some of the information uh, that's uh, been done on it, the research into the, the cellular level that shows that people are, are far more more prone to viruses once if they are indeed lonely. So it's not only something that's really sad to hear about, but it's also a health threat. CARP has done surveys, and what have you found about combating loneliness? So there's a, a number of things that we have found. Built environment is a, is a critical part of, uh, of helping people feel connected. If they have a, a park to get out to, that's extremely important. Government programs also play uh, a key role, having people able to access uh, community supports in their area, really critical, and, and things like uh, programs that keep them educated and, and lifelong learning. We have uh, also found that losing a license or indeed never having a driver's license is a key predictor of loneliness. People without a driver's license were three to four times as likely to feel completely alone or isolated as those who were still driving. Now, we don't know which came first, and also people without licenses might be more frail, more infirm, have other reasons contributing to those stats. But nevertheless, I think they're a real cautionary tale. One of the findings that recently came out of long-term care homes was that a number of people felt they was nobody there that they could talk to that shared their interests and clearly they're not socially isolated they're in a a group of people what about certain physical conditions i mean i've talked to people and as they lose their hearing which you would think is not the most serious condition that can affect someone uh, that they begin to feel isolated because they can't have conversations You know, there's a number of things that happen, and hearing is is one, incontinence is another, and it's often something that we don't want to talk about or think about. It's like a sign of aging that we think if we ignore it, it will go away. And in both those cases, if people can't hear, they tend to to struggle in conversation, and rather than dealing with it and going and getting their hearing tested and and taking steps to correct it, they can self-select and and decide to be socially isolated. Also, there's intriguing research that's now linking hearing loss to dementia, Again, we don't know which comes first, but certainly anybody listening that has a hearing issue would strongly encourage them to go get themselves tested, even if they don't realize they have. Test your ears at uh, 60 years of age is, is what CARP recommends. Uh, on the other front, we know that people become incontinent as they age, particularly women after our years of many of us um, going through childbirth and other issues. And again, there are great technical products out there to help deal with it, but some people don't want to, to face 
the fact that they're having these issues and instead isolate themselves. And that's really a shame. What do you see as the role of government in dealing with this? Yeah, that's an interesting point. You know, how much do we want to make people do things? And I think that the role of governments or, you know, of, of charities or others active in the area is to really facilitate people to be active. And one of the things that we hear is that people go from living in their own house, which is very large, and they're rattling around, and they're having trouble, you know, negotiating stairs, and then, but, you know, they want to live at home. And then they, they make the decision to downsize, and they move to, say, a, an apartment downtown where there's lots of other seniors like, oh, I wish I'd done this 10 or 15 years ago. So, so, so often it's about us taking the steps that we need to take to make decisions that are right for ourselves. But there are also situations where with the best will in the world, individuals are isolated. You know, if there's no readily available transit, uh, if streets aren't walkable, if lights are timed so that it's very difficult and unsafe for somebody that can't walk fast to cross, those are elements that the government needs to address. Anything else you want to leave us with, Wanda? One of the reasons that this year, in 2018, one of our priorities is to, to stand up or, or sit up straight, is that we realize the incredible role that fitness plays in helping people get up and feel better. So we encourage everybody to stand up, sit up straight, and, of course, to join CARP and help us help you. Okay. Wanda Morris, thanks so much for that. Okay. Thanks very much for having me. That was Wanda Morris, CARP's VP Advocacy. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, Neil Diamond announced his retirement following a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. It's time for your international arts date book, tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Bob Comsick. Sex, drugs, and activism are among the themes from the 60s now on display at the New York Public Library. The exhibition's called You Say You Want a Revolution, Remembering the 60s. The Turner Contemporary Art Gallery over in Kent is exhibiting 70 pieces of Dada Master Jean Arp's work. The drawings, collages, paintings, and sculptures are making their first appearance in England since Arp died in 1966. The Beatles are back on stage in Johannesburg, South Africa. After successful runs in Canada, the U.S., Hong Kong, and Australia, Beatlemania on tour plays through the end of the month. And India's Taj Mahal is planning to limit visitors to 40,000 a day to help preserve the 17th century icon. Six and a half million visit annually, increasing the wear and tear on the white marble tomb. I'm Bob Comsick, and that's your International Arts Datebook. After 50 years on the road, Neil Diamond has announced he's giving up performing live because of health issues. The legendary pop singer says he's been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and is cancelling his tour dates in Australia and New Zealand. His announcement came just days before what normally would have been a joyous occasion, his 77th birthday. Diamond was born January 24th, 1941. Over the years, his music has sold over 125 million albums worldwide, making him the third most successful adult contemporary artist on the Billboard charts, 
just behind Barbara Streisand and Elton John. Although he's giving up performing, Diamond says he's still going to write, record, and work on other projects for a long time to come. Right now, we'll travel back and hear the first number one single hit of his career. It was written in 1970 for his album, The Taproot Manuscript. Here is Cracklin' Rosie. That was Neil Diamond with Cracklin' Rosie. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Zneimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.